This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league, or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Too much of anything is bad, but too much sports is barely enough. With that in mind, say hello to January 2021. From an expanded NFL playoffs and the BCS National Championship game to the return of the NBA and the NHL, this is truly a great month to be a sports fan. I always tell people to head over to my book if they want to add a little excitement to the sports they love and the games they bet. They'll hook you up with a 50% deposit bonus up to 1000 bucks when you sign up. They'll keep the good times rolling with giveaways, free bets, and huge contests all year long. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code 3YARDS, that's the word, 3YARDS, and get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to MyBookie today and start 2021 off on the right foot. This year, bet with the best, bet with my bookie. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to, well, a loser's edition of Three Yards Per Caddy. I've been getting used to saying a winner's edition, but not so this week. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Sam Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. And before we get going, uh, a few housekeeping. I'm going to give you some some numbers. Simon, you, you weren't listening to to Chris and I talking before you got on, so I'm wondering if you know. Do you know how many teams in the history of the NFL since they went to this playoff format in 1978 have missed the playoffs with a record of 10 and six or better? Uh, four. No, it's actually a lot more than that. It's 23, okay? Twice, it's, they missed it with a record of 11-5, and five, and that was Denver in 1985 and the Patriots in 2008. 21 times, teams have gone 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs. Now there is a 22nd, and we know who that is. Now, if teams have done it multiple times, Giants twice, Eagles twice, Washington football team three times, and the Dolphins twice. Historically, since 1978, the Dolphins have had winning records six times, missed the playoffs six times. All right. Now let's just let's just get it out of the way. I don't think we're going to dwell on this game too much, but well, <laughs> we might, okay? Uh, I'll kick it off, okay? I'll just get my feelings out there, all right? I think that this team took all the goodwill that they put together for 15 weeks. And it was a lot, a lot of goodwill. I got some numbers to support that as well. Okay. This was a legitimate 10 win team. They weren't beating a bunch of weak sisters. They weren't getting lucky with the schedule. They smashed teams. Their margin of victory this season in those 10 wins. And remember, they had a one point win in there. So that's supposed to skew it was 13 points. Okay. And their losses going into Sunday, their average margin of loss was 6.2 points. Okay. Then they get blown up by 30 points. I think they took all the goodwill that they built up over 15 weeks, wiped their ass with it, and flushed it down the toilet on Sunday. What say you, Simon? Oh, I think it's um. No, I don't. I don't. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I think. I think 
unrealistic expectations were created by how well we did. Look, coming into the season, uh, you two boys, and I take my hats off to you, you two boys were sort of pushing playoffs or pushing sort of winning records. And I was saying, no, I think five, six wins, just because, you know, these the way these things even themselves out. I think the performances created a bit of an unrealistic expectation where we were really unhappy that they didn't make the playoffs. I, I think coming into the season, if you just said, boys, we're going to be final day, we have to go to Buffalo as a uh, as a ten win team to potentially get a win, and we're in the playoffs. We, I think, a significant portion of the fan base would have laughed us out of the room, um, and most of us, pretty much all of us, would have taken that. You know, um, we're so far ahead of the uh, of the schedule in terms of where we need to be, where we thought we were going to be. Are there some issues? Of course, there are. We just got beaten by a significantly better team. And I was on another podcast the other day. I think the Bills will make the Super Bowl. I think, you know, the Chiefs are beginning to, you know, it almost feels like the Chiefs have had an amazing season in the first three quarters of the season. Last three or four weeks, they've sputtered a little bit. Yeah, and hate to, interrupt you. hate to interrupt you, Simon, but uh, to the Chiefs' end, uh, they just did something that's never been done in NFL history, which is win seven consecutive games by a touchdown or less. So, yeah. so it suggests like, you know, that the steam in that train is starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah, and look, uh, we, we all know how great Mahomes is, and he is. But you know, he must have a lucky horseshoe in his back pocket because he escapes an awful lot of interceptions that he should have. You know, he should get picked off. Um, and I, I, the Bills, look, except except me, against Miami, except against Miami, the Bills look <laughs> an exceptionally, um, you know, an exceptionally good team. You know, and they're well coached on both sides of the ball. Brian Dable is is a great coach and probably will get a head coaching gig. Uh, Sean McDermott is a terrific, uh, uh, terrific leader of men. Josh Allen, to, to give Chris his credit, Chris believed in him, believed in him, believed in him. I never did, uh, and I think a lot of people didn't, but he's absolutely turned it around this year and deserves to be, you know, probably second or third in the MVP, fourth maybe behind Derek Henry, but certainly in the top four or five. You know, he's an elite quarterback now, um, and hopefully he can carry that on next year. Actually, I hope he doesn't carry on next year for the Dolphins. <laughs> sake, but, um, you know, but he absolutely owns us. Like, uh, they got yeah. to, uh, Brian Flores has to dedicate at least one intern and maybe a coach to figuring out how we're going to handle this guy because it's every game now. That he plays against. Look, they've you know they've got Isaiah McKenzie. We've got we've got Isaiah Ford. Do you know what I mean? And that's the <laughs> yes. level that we've got. And that's not a criticism of Ford per se, although you know he probably had his mm. worst game as a player yesterday. But that that's the level that we've got to get to. Where is our Stefan Diggs? You know, Devontae Parker is is a nice player. And I had an argument at the start of the season about people saying he's an elite receiver. He is not an elite receiver. If he was an elite receiver, he would be consistently good week in, week out. He'd be available week in, week out. He wouldn't turn in great second half performances, but not be around in the first. You know, he, he, Stephon Diggs, elite receiver. Devontae Adams, elite receiver. You know, Devontae Parker is a good player, but, he, you know, where yeah. is our Isaiah McKenzie? Where is and our He's a good Cole player Beasley? that Where's had consistent... one elite year. That's all. That's yeah. All. You know, Dion Dork, all those guys on the offensive line, you know, you look at the defense like Ed Oliver, Matt Milano, you know, they're getting getting great performances from, from you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, who's a guy they brought off the COVID list, you know, Tredavious White didn't even play yesterday. They were tearing our ass up in a game that we had like two games back to back against the Raiders and the Bills that were essentially our two biggest games since the, the playoff game in, in Pittsburgh four years ago. And we didn't show up really for either of them. We, we showed up in the last five minutes of the of the Raiders game and we, we didn't show up at all on Sunday. And that's, no. the, that's the disappointing thing. I think if we hadn't been blown out 56, 26 or whatever it was, if we would have lost 30 to 28, I think fans would have been much more placated, but I suppose 
the issue is that we go into an off-season with a few questions that probably we shouldn't have even been thinking about these questions because we didn't think we'd be at this level. And But there are question marks circling. Who's the offensive coordinator going to be? Is Chan Gailey going to stay? Is he going to go? What's going to, where are we getting these weapons from? And ultimately the question about the quarterback, which is going to ruminate and ruminate throughout the offseason. Unfortunately, that's going to discolor everything that we talk about moving forwards. The situation with the quarterback, is he the one? Is he not the one? We've got the third overall pick and there's, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. The, those questions, whether we like them or not, are going to happen and are going to ruminate. But ultimately, I think what it comes down to is that we're so far ahead of schedule. I think the coaching that we've done is amazing. The players that have been put together have had an amazing season. The defense was amazing. They just, it was one game too far. It was one game too far. And I think 24 hours further on, am I disappointed we didn't make the playoffs yet? Am I happy that we're not going to Buffalo next week, you know, in a playoff game? Yeah, you know, because we'd probably got our ass spanked again because they're a really good team. But if we, if we, you know, take down the temperature and we look at where we are, we're a 10 and 6 Miami Dolphins team. You go back to the first two games of last season where we got spanked by the Ravens and spanked by the Patriots. Could you ever imagine that we were a game out of the playoffs, you know, 12, 16 months later? Nobody would ever have imagined it. We're in the position now with all this capital, with these draft picks to really, really build something special and to be that Buffalo Bills team, to be that Kansas City Chiefs team, to be that Green Bay Packers. That's where we should be going. And, you know, if we get this offseason right, I can only see things pointing up. But there are questions as there always are when you don't make the playoffs, regardless of how quickly you get there. Chris? Do I think that they've squandered all of their, uh, you know, all the good things that they built up over the, no, I, I, over the previous 15 games? No, absolutely not. I think, uh, I think when we step back and allow ourselves to get over this, uh, which is going to take some time, it always takes some time, um, then we're going to we're going to come back and revisit all of the good things that they did, uh, and rightfully so. Um, I think overall that this team is a very young team, and uh, and they played like a very young team in the last two weeks of the season when things mattered the most. And I think that we've been sort of bragging about their age for most of the season because, you know, hey, look how good the defense is despite how young it is, despite how many rookies are playing, despite, you know, everything. Um, and and it was sort of like a positive point for us that we're talking about such a young team with only one guy who's 30 years old, you know, all that, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then when we got to the two biggest games of the season, you know, against the Las Vegas Raiders and then against the Buffalo Bills, to clinch, you know, to try and uh, keep their playoff hopes alive. They, I mean, they didn't collapse against the Raiders, but for most of the game, it was like that. Um, And, you know, certainly it took that miracle for them. Um, So I think that it's a, it's a dual, it's a dual edge. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, we're bragging about how young they are and how bright the future looks, but they looked, they looked young and immature in those last two games when it counted the most. And I think that that's the takeaway uh, from this for me is that they started. It's not that they started out flat against the Buffalo bills. That's not it at all. I think they were amped and they were ready to go, but they were, they were sloppy. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw that right away. Um, 
not quite on the defense, not quite as much on the defensive side, but sloppy on the offensive side of the ball. We're talking about bad snaps. We're talking about um, miscommunications of the, of the blocking calls, you know, things like that uh, things that were ruining drives. And then I think that once things started to slip out of their, you know, out of their hands, I think there was a whole lot of uh oh, and it was happening on every side of the ball. It was happening on defense. It was happening on special teams. It was happening uh, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. And I, I, you know, this is just a perception and, and we perceive different things and that's, that's fine. Um, but my perception is that the really, the, the ball started rolling downhill when, you know, for yet another week. And I think this is three, three weeks in a row. It was like this when the offense couldn't really get going you know, as the defense is, is forcing the bills off the field. I mean, they got an mm-hmm. interception. Um, they got Josh Allen off the field, two other drives. Like it was a total of three drives and Josh Allen still couldn't even get his 40 yards that he needed for the record for the, for the bills record. Um, they were doing, a, they were doing a good job, but the offensive side of the ball was letting them down. All they got was the field goal. And that they had already been in pretty good field position in order to get that field goal because that was off the uh, interception, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I thought that the ball really started rolling downhill because of the offensive failures. And then I think just as a team, a whole lot of, you know, uh-oh was setting in uh, all the way across for a very young team who lost their composure and just completely lost control of the game on, um, on virtually all sides of the ball. And so that's the takeaway that I have is that, you know, and, and when I step back and real and think about this, and we, we've been talking about it all year, um, you know, I expected them to be 10 and six because I expected all the signings that they did on the defensive side of the ball to, to be meaningful. You know, the, I expected mm-hmm. it to be meaningful that Byron Jones was going to be there, um, that, uh, that Kyle Van Noy was going to be there. Uh, I didn't necessarily expect Emmanuel Ogba to do what he did, but, um, but I thought that Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba would be good, would be good additions. And that the whole D de- the defense as a whole would just be a whole lot better and start to click the way they did late in the season for Brian Flores last year. Um, and I thought that they would start to get on a roll after, you know, maybe some hiccups with Tua Tungavailoa at quarterback, um, I think a lot of that played out, but you know, where we've been, where we've been talking about, you know, all year that oh, they're ahead of schedule, they're ahead of schedule They're You know, that's what the, all the talking ends were saying. Um, they maybe in some ways they were, but, but I think that there was also a reality uh, of where they are in the process that caught up to us because even the defense was slipping at the end mm-hmm. um, at the end, not just in the bills game either. Um, so I think that that's the takeaway. Uh, I think, you know, if you just look at their, the, the arc, the story arc of this Miami Dolphins team under Brian Flores, we're still on the, the upslope of it. And, uh, and this is what it looks like, unfortunately. Uh, or this is what it can look like in those early stages. Uh, and it can be very disappointing, very maddening. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's, what it may look like as we get on uh, and as some of those players develop and start getting more experience and um, start to show their, their age in a good way. 
Yeah, I, I agree for the most part on there. Um, as far as that game, you know, I, I don't know what else can you say about that game, really, except that nobody played good. Uh, like, nobody showed up. Like, I was struggling yesterday in, the, in our WhatsApp chat, a very famous WhatsApp chat that people are now offering us money to listen to or watch. <laughs> uh, I, I struggled to find anybody that played well. And I don't know if that's completely out of character. So this is the question I'm going to ask of you, Simon. It, did that game, since nobody really played well, nobody, and, I'm, and that's right down to the punter, even Jason Sanders, who's hit, a, I believe it was a 44-yard field goal, I didn't see it because I just saw it go through the uprights. I thought he he hit it a mile like he usually does, but supposedly that squeaked over the crossbar. So nobody played well. Did that game cost Brian Flores the coach of the year? Because it um, seems it seems like I mean, everybody think... had him as coach of the year go, going in. Did that cost him I the I, trophy? Can I be honest and say I don't really care? Mm. Like. Does it does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? I mean, I'm not having to go at you, but I like who gives a fuck if he's coach of the year or not, quite frankly. I mean, I don't I don't think it makes it is that does that make us feel better about not making the playoffs? Does that make us feel better about the uncertainty over the quarterback situation? I mean, we we know he's been fantastic. I just um did that game well really, and let me ask you this way really this way. Did that game change your estimation of Brian Flores? No, no way. And I think Chris just made a really, really good point was that it just felt like we got to the, you know, we got to the end of the burn of the candle, you know, the, 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 the burn of the candle, the burn of the match, you kind of just burnt out, you know, a lot of pressure on a young team, most of whom hadn't been there before, you know, young quarterback, young inexperienced running backs, so, you know, three rookie, you know, we were starting six and seven rookies on offense at, you know, at the critical point of the city. We took on the Kansas City Chiefs, starting seven rookies on offense, six rookies on offense. Mm-hmm. You know, the defending Super Bowl champions, you just went 14 and two. You know, I think we just, you know, and, and it felt like the Raiders game, we just, it all just became a bit much. And, you know, yeah, there's Van Noy and there's a Landon Roberts and, you know, Xavier and Eric Rowe, guys that have either been around for a while and fits, you know, or have won Super Bowls or that sort of thing. But, you know, look elsewhere, you know, Mars Gaskin, Ahmed, Tua, Kindley, Austin Jackson, you know, Brandon Jones. There's, there's kids, babies everywhere. You know, Zach Sealer, babies everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Playing important positions. I just think it became just a little bit too much. And, and that's not, it's okay. It's okay for that to have happened. It's uh, Brian Flores is a hell of a coach. Uh, and, you know, he's a hell of a coach, not just, Monday through Saturday. He's also a hell of a coach on game day. I think he's a really good, crafty. He doesn't, you know, you go around and look at some of the, you know, some of the coaches that make Mike McCarthy, Anthony Lynn, coaches who make terrible in-game decisions. You never see Flo make it. You know, look at the 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 red flag for the for the um, Byron Jones interception. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you never really see him throwing away timeouts. You never really see see him throwing away challenges. You the team usually comes out more juiced in the second half if it's had a poor first half. You know, that maybe that wasn't the case yesterday, but I, I just don't give a fuck whether he wins coach of the year or not. It's just not relevant to me. You know, so it, it's nice that the league might think that, but we know what a good coach he is. We know that he's hopefully going to take us to the promised land. I don't think having a gong that says, well done, your coach of the year makes that any more or less special. Let maybe me just take just, you. Maybe I'm just cynical. Let me take you back to 2008 coach of the year was uh, we had a, I believe a tie for coach of the year and it was Tony Sperano on the Miami dolphins and Mike Smith of the Atlanta Falcons. 
both of them eventually fired and never be never had coaches again. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the coach of the year, I think um, it's nice, but uh, it, it would have been, you know, it's, it's a nice little, it's a nice little thing to put on the wall, I guess, but, um, but that's all it really is. And yeah, I do believe honestly um, that had the dolphins shown up and won the game, gone into the playoffs um, Flores was probably in line for it. And, and then, you know, what happened happened. And now he is, he is definitely not in line for it um, anymore. And that's just reality. But as Simon says, you know, what does it matter? Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't ultimately matter that much. So, um, so yeah, I think that uh, I don't think it's an indictment on, on the coach that the team was able to win 10 games, but not able to finish it, not able to finish the season and, um, and really put up what they needed to put up um, when the pressure got super hot. Yeah. Uh, and I think that with that, I think we can move on from this game because there really wasn't else any, any anything else to, to really talk about in this game, except, you know, they, you know, they got, they got their ass handed to them from essentially the fourth possession on. And even when the backups were in there and, and I understand some, some of our listeners have taken to Twitter and said, Oh, that was disrespectful. They're throwing bombs. We're running blitzes. We're running gap blitzes to stop their run. You think that they're going to let us just smash the running game for an entire half and let us get 10 possessions to try to come back into the game. No, they're going to punish you. If you're going to send 10 into, into a gap, into every gap and try to try to stop their running game. They're going to throw a bomb up top to keep you honest and, and have you play honest defense. And but also they're not going to, they're not going to do that to Matt Barkley either because uh, yeah. he was getting murdered back there with some of those hits. Yes. I appreciate the, you know, look at what happened in that Philadelphia Washington game. I appreciate the integrity of Sean McDermott, quite yes. frankly, you know, there were, you know, I, I I understand that Pittsburgh rested players, but Pittsburgh's defeat to Cleveland ultimately affected us. And I think if Ben Roethlisberger and, and those starters played, the Dolphins are in the playoffs. Now we're talking about a playoff game in Buffalo next weekend or in Tennessee next weekend, as it would have played out. But, mm. you know, but I respect their decision to, to, to do what they did. You know, you rest and to players, be fair, and to be it. fair. And so, so nobody like takes it like, okay, we're blaming the Steelers. The Steelers played no, their asses off in that game. Yeah, they did. And they played yeah. all their and they played all their defensive starters. So no complaints. Now, if I was a Giants fan, yes, <laughs> I would feel significantly differently. You know, if the if the Giants had been hosed the way if the Dolphins had been hosed the way the Giants were from that Washington Philadelphia game, I would be seriously pissed off. But I respect Sean. You know, this is the NFL. This isn't pat cake. You know, you come out, you play the games. Josh Allen starts slinging the ball. You cover him if you want him to go. If you want him to go and sit sit down on the bench so that Matt Barkley goes, in, knock him on his ass. Well, we couldn't do it. We couldn't get close to him. We couldn't knock him over. We couldn't stop the pass. We couldn't stop the run. I mean, they, you know, they've not been able to run the ball all season. They bring some Ohio State transfer in who nobody's ever heard of or the practice squad. The dude's ripping us up looking like he's fucking Barry Sanders. That's our responsibility. To, but it's true. It's our responsibility yes, to stop that. You know, I don't blame Sean McDermott for coming out and running up the score. They're, I'm surprised by it, though. I mean, not uh, not yeah. running up the score. I mean, I'm surprised that Josh Allen played an entire half. Yeah, I, the fine I Diggs too. did. But also, you know, I, I one, I respect the integrity. Two, you're making a statement to to a plucky young division opponent who's going to be, you, you know, it's going to be Buffalo and Miami over the next five, ten years battling it out for the AFC East. Well, I tell you what, here's opportunity one for us to stomp all over your face and send mm. a message that this time, but this time next season, 
you know, the first thing the beat writers, the first thing the CBS people, the first thing Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth will say was, last time these two played, Buffalo spanked them 56-26 in the game Miami had to win. They didn't show up. That becomes the narrative. Yes. Sean McDermott's already inside our head next season. I, and, I've got nothing but kudos for him. And Flores's defense cannot stop the Buffalo offense. I mean, that's no, that's no. just that's two years. That's four games. And Josh Allen has been near perfect in all four games, really. Um, and 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 he wasn't, as Simon, <laughs> you know, uh, alluded to prior to this year. Um, he wasn't perfect in every game. You know, it was it was mostly this year where he's started to pretend that everybody else he's facing is Miami. Mm. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that it really does create an actual, you know, are they in our heads now um, going forward next year? And we're going to be talking about that next year because Brian Flores's defense just can't stop them uh, yeah. for some reason. But yeah, but, and, and to put this, this uh, running up the score, crap to bed first of all it wasn't like i said you know you they're not gonna let us blitz them the entire second half while they're just running outside zone and we smash their running back and their running game to pieces and they keep hunting and giving us like i said 10 more possessions when we're down three touchdowns they're not gonna allow us to just win the game like that so that they have to keep us honest and you know it's not running up the score i'm old enough to remember sam weish and his rivalry when he was the bengals coach with the Cleveland Browns. Now, you like to pretend you're younger, a lot younger than me, Simon, but you're not. <laughs> you remember you remember that rivalry. You remember Sam Weiss. I remember it. Sam Weiss being up three touchdowns against Cleveland and Marty Schottenheimer and onside kicking with two minutes left. Mm. I remember that. Yeah. I remember one time Boomer Esiason faking like he was going to take a knee and turn to throw a bomb to Eddie Brown. To Eddie Brown, yeah. Two touchdowns. Okay, that's running up the score. That's disrespectful. What the Bills did was not. It just wasn't. It just mm. was not. Yeah. So, all right, now we get to the part of the show where, you know, let's let's be real. Everybody wants to talk about this. Okay. Tuatunga Vailoa, uh, the game, it was hard. It, you know, it was really hard to evaluate. Of course, another slow start. Okay. 21 to three, it was still manageable because, you know, okay, you're down 21 to three. If it's the starters in there, you got to think, okay, this is a problem. Okay. Cause we can't stop them, but you kind of know, okay, Josh Allen is gone soon. Our defense should uh, operative word should be able to pitch a shutout against Matt Barkley. Okay. We got plenty of time here in this second half for Tua Tonga Bailoa to engineer three touchdown drives, maybe four and win this game. Of course we had a pick six when Devontae Parker falls down and we gave up a punt return touchdown, which yeah. I believe were the biggest plays of the game. I think that's, those are the plays that signal to us. Okay. There, there's not going to be no second half comeback. Simon, what did you think of his rookie season? What did you think of his game overall against the bills? That's a big question. Um, I don't think he played very well against Buffalo. Um, and look, at we're all prisoners of the moment. Right. And we all know that in our infamous WhatsApp group, we all like, you know, we can get heat, not heated, because we we never heated because we're we're such good friends. But you know, we 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 bring different things to the party, and sometimes I can be glass half empty. I think, and um, there were times yesterday where I was really disappointed, and there are time there's been times that I've been disappointed. And I was sitting in the car this evening, I was on a long drive, and I thought to myself, of all the things that Tua could have been this season, the one thing that I would never have expected 
him to, or I've never expected the narrative to be was that he wouldn't be a, a, a throw it down the field gunslinger. <laughs> yeah. So where, where is that guy? Where has he gone? Now, what, what is the reason for that? Um, you know, is it, is it the play calling? And let's be honest, the play calling isn't very good. Continuing to call screen passes all the time isn't very good. So, so what is the reason behind that? Is it, as Jeff Schwartz intimated that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is it that they, they see him in practice and we don't, they see him in practice every day and they don't trust him to do that? Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't, we don't know the answer to that. And we probably never will know the answer to that, or at least not until he's in Miami any longer, if that's the case. You talk about the Kansas City Chiefs game where he played really well early. We went up 10 nothing. Chiefs came back into it. We kept it tight. They blew the game open with the with when Fajedlam came in and and had the long touchdown to Tyreek. And then he started slinging the ball around, throwing it down the field, slinging it all over. One offensive rookie of the week threw for three hundred and forty yards or whatever. Made a couple of absolutely wow throws. We talked about it. That throw over the middle to Lim Bowden, which I watched again oh my God. a couple of times last week. It was mm. one of the you know one of the best throws he's made at either college or the NFL. It's just a beautiful throw. If they allowed him to do that in a game against the Chiefs. Why Why has the offense suddenly regressed to the point where all we're doing is throwing screens, all we're doing is he looks nervous in the pocket a little bit. I think he looks a bit jittery at times. Is the thumb an issue? I don't know. His arm doesn't look, he doesn't look like massively confident in his arm strength. Um, but he made a couple of like really good throws that the Bills defenders made great plays on. The one that, um, the one that Siran, um, whatever his name is, um, knocked away that looked like an Isaiah Ford drop that actually was just uh Cyrano Neal just knocked it away. Mm. It was a great throw. Yes it was. But he's got he's got to do more. He has got to do more. Um the other thing I thought today in the car was that would Justin, you know, would Justin Herbert have been given the opportunity to do more in the offense? You know, Justin's had an excellent year. I take my hat off to him. I didn't think it was possible. I I, I died on that hill pre-draft saying I didn't think you'd make it I, I would give up supporting the Dolphins if we drafted him and was so glad that we drafted Tua over over Herbert to give him his due he's been terrific um, but would Justin have had the same season in Miami this season as he had in in Los Angeles and I don't, I don't think he would have done um, because I just don't, it, I, like Peter King said today I don't understand why the training wheels are still on Tua because it feels like he isn't being given the latitude to to do what he's doing uh, and I, do, I, I don't know that we're going to get an answer. I know that Flores and, and Chris Greer will, will be answering a lot of questions tomorrow um, to the press and two will be the, the main subject. I think Bucky Brooks said it best yesterday and I'll read the tweets. He said, for whatever reason, Tua hasn't been given the benefit of the doubt as a, as a rookie quarterback. Perhaps the rotation with Fitzmagic changed public perception, but it appears that observers are quick to label him a bust despite some solid performances. Don't forget, no off-season, no pre-season games. Some skeptics look at Herbert's succession and measure Tua against those numbers, but the Chargers have a better set of weapons around him. When the Dolphins upgrade their weapons, we'll have a better feel for how Tua, Tua is or isn't. Then Joy Taylor replied, can the Dolphins survive that risk, Bucky? If Tua isn't what they thought, they'll likely have a high pick. They likely won't have a high pick again to replace him. To which he put, they have to compare Tua to Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, which we know they'll do anyway. Um, they must be convinced that Tua is a better quarterback prospect than those guys to proceed. If not, then they should take a quarterback and let them compete. The Cowboys did it in 89 and 90 with Troy Aikman and Steve Walsh. And I think that's a fairly honest appraisal. I think the national narrative, and I don't understand what it is. Is it because he's an Alabama guy? Is it because he's a nice kid who got loads of attention? 
do you know what I mean? Like he's he's synonymous with just one name. He's like Tiger or Serena or you mm. know, he's Tua. Do you know what I mean? He's he's Prince or LeBron or Kobe or do you know what I mean? He's it's Madonna. It's one of those people where you just use one name and you know who he is. So is there a bit of a backlash? I just found it amazing yesterday that people yeah. were messaging me on social media going, oh, you know, it was like they were happy that the Dolphins were losing because it meant that he was playing badly or, or or not playing particularly well, that they would openly openly cheer against your own quarterback. Yeah, like I, don't, no, I don't understand no, and that it's, narrative. No, and it's in NFL Twitter overall. And, and sometimes I like to peruse and I don't respond to those people because that, that could open up a whole can of worms. worms. But uh, you see NFL Twitter talking about it all the time. You know, the last thing we need is the Dolphins in the playoffs and with Tua playing really well. In yeah. one, one or two games, you know, that, like that's the last thing we need. And yeah, I do believe it's that Alabama thing and people think resent he can, it. He can't always, it can't always be everybody I else. I don't think it's that. Do you not? I, I don't think it's the Alabama thing. I, I don't, I honestly don't. I, I, you don't I think, think it's, it's a uh, physical thing. Chris, you're, you're, you're an no, NBA, it's a, you're, phys, it's a physical, it's a physical thing. I'm telling yeah. you right now, it is a physical thing from, from February to April uh draft season everybody gets on their soapbox and you know talks about how having the biggest arm how it isn't you know you don't know what's really important in football um it's not about the strong arm it's not about you know all that you know, being body beautiful and all, all that stuff um and then when you get into the season Justin Herbert and Tua Tungavailoa can make virtually the same throw and everybody's going to drool over Justin Herbert and not quite give the same amount of credit to Otungavailoa. Why? He looks small in the pocket and he doesn't have the same arm. You know, he doesn't, I mean, it's, it's the truth. He does not have the same arm. Um, so I think it is a physical thing. I think when, when a quarterback comes in there and isn't a, you know, physically impressive guy, then the bar is higher for him uh, for, in terms of, you know, being a guy that, that makes things happen and being efficient and stuff like that. They will turn on you quickly. If you're a body beautiful and you have a big arm and you're showing up on that film and throwing and slinging it all over the place like that, you'll get chance after chance. But I think that it is a physical thing. I'm telling you right now. The other thing with Justin as well is that, mm -hmm. you, you know, week one of the season was charges against the Chiefs. So it was nationally televised on CBS. Do you know what I mean? So everybody saw him take the take the Chiefs into overtime. He played pretty well. Yeah. He then had a Monday night or a Sunday night game against the Saints, where again, he was slinging it around all over the joint. So nationally, you see how well he's throwing. Nationally, he's showing off the big arm. He's almost beating the Saints in the Superdome. And then against the Raiders. He had the Sunday night game against the Raiders the week before we played them. And again, he's ripping up 330, making like some fantastic, like, let's be honest, made some fantastic throws in that game. Mm -hmm. And then Tua comes in the week after and can't move the ball at all. And I'm not taking anything away from Justin Herbert at all because he, he has had a really good season. But I just think people have seen him in isolation just as they've seen Tua in isolation. And the only times they saw Tua on, a, you know, when we played nationally on Thursday night against the Jags, Fitz was the quarterback. Do you know what I mean? So you've only ever really seen the Dolphins if you're a Dolphins fan or you live in the Miami area and you're just an NFL fan. If you're a nation, if you live in LA or if you live in Yeah, you know, then they saw Texas, him. No, then they saw the next time they saw him nationally was against the Raiders and yeah, they saw or against him the Chiefs. Against, against the Chiefs on CBS 
where you know you saw him play well to start with, and then you probably you could have, if you weren't a Dolphins fan, you might have tuned out when the score was thirty three to ten or whatever it was because oh you know the Chiefs have run away with this and to us you know, and then you see him against the Raiders and he gets benched and you knew because you'd heard it you'd read Peter King or you'd read Twitter that he'd got benched against the Broncos. And the narrative, and I'm not saying it's a false narrative. It can't, it can't be everybody else. It can't just be a bad route or a drop pass or a bad play call or a. It, some of it is on him, you know. And I think we, as a as a triumvirate, try to be as honest and open as possible. But I also think that we are have always painted our colours or nailed our colours to the mast. We've always said that we're huge tour fans, and whether or not that sometimes is to our detriment remains to be seen. Um, but we also accept that it can't always just be everyone else. It has to, you know, he has to shoulder like Chris and I would, I don't think Alf was in the WhatsApp chat at the time, but when he had the pick, um, not the one, the Gesicki pick, but the one the before, Gis- the just, just no, the one before that, just a oh, really right. bad the, throw. And we were just like, yeah, that was a bad throw. You know, you hold your hands up. That's a bad throw. You know, then people, you know, people say, oh, he looked really great. You know, when we're down 56 or 48, 13 or whatever and you say well okay he did but the bills are up by like 75 points and then you know they're not playing the same defense that they were playing yeah. early in the game do you know what i mean right he's making he, people are open because they're, they're they're playing off coverage they're playing a different you know they're not playing the way that they have done so he's his ability to complete passes is is, is easier because of the way that the defense is playing so i think it's a hugely interesting off season i think it will just become some you know if I was you, I, you the listener, I would not be tuning into Twitter a great deal, apart from Chris, Alf, and myself, and the uh, the three hours per carry account, <laughs> and some selected other Dolphins accounts, because it will get it will get toxic. You know, it will get more toxic than it. if you thought it was annoying in the run up to the draft about he's injury prone, he's too small, he's this, he's that. It's going to be significantly worse knowing that Fields and Wilson. And look at fucking Trevor Lawrence. If Urban Meyer gets the job at Jacksonville, Urban Meyer recruited Justin Fields. It's unlikely, but you never know. <laughs> you know what I mean? You never know. And if that, you know, you could see a situation. How much where, of a kick in the balls would that be if the Jets I mean, got a hold of The Jets anyway. ended up. But you could end, you know, the Dolphins, let's be realistic. The Dolphins are probably going to be, probably in inverted commas, going to be in a situation come draft day where the, the Jacksonville Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence. The New York Jets take one of Kyle Wilson. Uh, fucking, I'm doing it every week. Zach Wilson. <laughs> Jesus, I've got to get out of this yeah, habit. You can't it, doesn't streak alive. it doesn't help, by the way, that all our listeners keep addressing him as, oh, no. as you know, parentheses Dude. Kyle Wilson. You know, sorry, I'm sorry. The streak so is alive. The streak every- is, mate, it's going to be alive every week. But the Dolphins are going to be sitting in a in a position where they get the chance to take Zach Wilson or to take Justin Fields. Uh, you know, whether they do or not remains to be seen. It would look and flow is. Flo has been interesting about the quarterback situation. You know, he's always said that quarterbacks can't be precious about it. You just don't know what they're going to do. You know, they could. What if they took Fields and said, "You know what? We're going to open it up, and the best man wins, and the loser will deal away for a third round pick." Uh, you just don't know. Loser leave town. You just don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. unlikely, and it would be. But also, the the flip side of that is: Are we really, really giving up on a quarterback who's only ever played ten games? Coming off a car crash, are we really doing that? Because if we were doing that, we'd have been giving up on Josh Allen. I mean, he had two pretty mediocre seasons before he became an MVP candidate. Are we? Are we doing that? And you know, history is littered with quarterbacks who started slowly and became really good. And if there's anything that we know about Tua, is that he's going to go away and he's going to come back 
twice as good as he was. He's going to work twice as hard in the offseason to correct what he did. He did that at the at the the, the night camp. You know, he went away, got chucked out by Trent mm-hmm. Dilfer, went away, practice, 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 came back, fucking tore the doors off it and won the award. You know, so he's going to come back flying. But, you know, we're not giving up on a quarterback after 10 games, are we? Because that's fucking retarded. Yeah. And, and let's let's be honest, though, about the year that he had. Um, this wasn't a terrible year. Right. Yeah. I let mean, me go through can, it. Can let we me go through it? Because I have his I have his 16 game projection. OK, what if I told you before the season, I'm not going to tell you what the win loss record is going to be, but I'm going to tell you that Tua Valoa started from week one. OK. And he ended up with three thousand five hundred yards passing a quarterback rating of eighty eight point two. A total of twenty seven touchdowns. Against twelve turnovers. Would you say that was a successful rookie season? Yeah, I think that is a successful rookie season. I think anybody pulling themselves away from it emotionally and just kind of being objective and would look at it and say, you know, the simple, the, the easiest answer is the best answer. Yeah, it's a successful rookie season. Why would you, why would you give up on that? And um, and I do recognize though that you know, uh, so Lewis Riddick went on a rant earlier and and he really just went after. He's a troubling trend. He called it with um with respect to rookie quarterbacks and and how quickly like it seems like we're ready to give up on, on them after a series now you know they, they throw an interception on a series they have a bad series um and god forbid they have a second one he says um and i'm, I'm listening to it i'm like you know preach on my man and then i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about it as in someone else's shoes you know even looking at me and saying well you know but you were ready to give up on josh rosen uh, after his rookie season with the Arizona Cardinals. And I totally did support that decision by the Cardinals to take Kyler Murray at the number one pick. And so I recognize that somebody on the outside may, may look at me and say, you know, uh, you're, that's it. That's your bias showing my man and your, your bias towards Tua Tonga Vailoa. And, and, and I get that, but I, I think that if we're unable to distinguish these you know between between performances like that if we're unable to distinguish you know between josh rosen's performance as a rookie which was literally one of the worst performances we've seen at the quarterback position in the last 10 20 years um 40 years and, yeah versus I, wrote a, versus I wrote a i remember i wrote a whole when they traded for him i wrote a whole article on five reasons sports about how he had one of the worst seasons a quarterback had had in 40 years Right. I mean, so if we're if we're unable to distinguish between that and what Tua Tungavailoa has done this year, then what we've done is we've given up the ability to analyze. And, you know, as I am a professional analyst for a living, I, I don't I don't believe you ever give up that ability. You analyze every situation, every play, you know, every um, or in my cases in the financial in the financial sphere. Um so I think that uh, I think that you can distinguish. You can you can make um, make the case about what Tua did this season, being you know a good start. <laughs> I mean, and and there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with admitting that, you know, and, and saying no, it, he wasn't perfect by any means um, this year, and he did, you know, in this game, for example, Simon and I talk about uh, how, how he, you know, that was that was a real bad ball that he threw to Lynn Bowden um, mm. and, and, and over the middle, you know, and, and I think the commentator or Trent Green brought that up, you know, you can't do that over the middle. That's for sure. Um, and so, 
the fact that it was picked off, you know, you shouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, and then the other one, the one he threw to Kosicki, I don't know whether, I mean, the, the thing is, I'm not sure whether it was a bad decision or a bad throw, but either way, it's probably a bad, you know, bad play on Tua's part. Um, so no, he wasn't, he wasn't perfect, but, um, but I think overall you're working with something nice going forward, but I go back to the physical attributes thing because I, I know some people, you know, I, I, I talk with people privately that were, you know, two of fans and, um, you know, and, and this is what I hear from a couple of them, which is, you, you know, for as much as we were kind of positive about Tua being here, he shows up in a Miami Dolphins uniform. He gets on the field. Ah, oh, he looks kind of small. Ah, he looks, you know, he doesn't really have the strongest arm, does he? You know, and, and, and then they start to, they start to, you know, pick apart uh, the player on a physical basis. And then I think that's when the reality sets in that we took a guy that in some ways needs to be as special as Drew Brees in order to be special, you know? Yeah. Um and, and that's, and that's when, you know, uh, suddenly a little bit of uh oh sets in among, among the people watching. And I think that's, that's part of what we have, but I, what we saw from Tua this year, and we'll, I hope we talk about Chan Gailey and the offensive coordinator situation next, but I think what we saw from Tua, and this is really interesting because Simon's like, he's wrestling with this, you know, what we saw in Kansas city, for example. Um, in that in that second half of Kansas City, well, it's also what we saw in the second half of this game against the Buffalo Bills. I think we saw two different quarterbacks, and sometimes the two different quarterbacks that we saw were quite literally two different quarterbacks: Tua Tagovailoa and Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I also think think that what we saw was Tua himself turn into Fitz magic versus Fitz tragic. I mean, that was, and, and that was, and depending on the situation and depending on how much they had to open the playbook against Kansas city, he starts slinging it all over the place. That's Fitz magic. Okay. Against Buffalo. Well, I mean, he started slinging it over the, all over the place in that opening drive in the second half. I mean, it was looking great, right? It was looking phenomenal. That was and a then, textbook. That was a textbook. Ryan Fitzpatrick performance by yes. Absolutely. And then it turned into Fitz tragic. And this is, this is the, this is the downside of, of opening it up. And really um, is that those mistakes, like that high throw to Lynn Bowden get magnified because, you know, you're placing yourself in predictable situations where it's pass, 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 and you're opening things wide up, wide open and sudden, you know, so the, the little mistake becomes really magnified. And this is what, Brian, and maybe this is a Brian Flores call. Maybe it's, we're not giving it, we're putting it all on Chan Gailey and maybe it's not, but this is what I think Brian Flores was trying to avoid with Tua Tungavailoa starting at quarterback um, and then seeding to, uh, to Ryan Fitzpatrick when the situation would get desperate. Um, I think, I think we did, we saw that dynamic play out in the same quarterback this time, or at least it was more obvious that it was in the same quarterback this time. And, um, and yeah, against the Bengals looked fa- it was fantastic, you know, against the chiefs, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, against the Buffalo bills, it looked fantastic until all of a sudden it went, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that that's, I think that's what, what, what we're facing with. And if I would have one criticism, it was just, be, it would just be that I wish we were doing that more so that he could grow that way you know, and, and grow to 
to start to eliminate those mistakes, which are going to happen. You know, that high throw is going to happen. It happens to every quarterback. Forget being a, uh, a rookie. Um, you know, if we'd been allowing him to grow the entire time, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation because, you know, he, what did he throw for 350 yards in this game? And, Through, and 361. 361. And what what did you say, Alf, that, uh, that the official – drop count was something for like 11 11 drops for like 170 yards <laughs> yes i mean it was well it, it, there's dispute on that but let's go on I'm the sure lower side uh, some people are disputing and say that it's 11 for 147 all right so let's just yeah. take that one one 11 what, for 147 whatever it is throw it, for 508 yards what, yeah whatever it is don't get you know don't lose the forest of the trees here i it, you know he was he was slinging it all over the place because he had to. And we saw both the up and downsides for that. And normally we attribute that to the, to the Ryan Fitzpatrick experience. Um, but I think what we saw instead was uh, was it was situational and um, and it was Chan Gailey being forced to uh, to call it more wide open by the situation and by the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick was not there. Yeah. Uh, which is which begs the question. Let's say they catch all those balls. I don't think they win the game, by the way. No, no. They catch, but let's say he does. You know, he completes all those passes. That means that he would have had like forty-four completions for five hundred and eighteen yards. What are people saying today? It's Simon. a different story. <laughs> hmm. You know, because these guys were just bad on sunday and we're not gonna revisit the game again you know it's obviously it's obvious that they have to replace a lot of these guys and you know we're not gonna talk about them now because we have a whole off season to talk about those guys so it obviously we got to talk about there was a fake story going around today that chan gailey had been fired it was really believable because it was actually written up on the espn website and uh it turns out that they do a lot of checks they do like seven different checks before they put it on the website not this time (laughs) not this time okay uh and this is from somebody that actually worked in the building i'm not gonna reveal his name so he doesn't reveal methods but he's like i don't know how the hell that could get on there but evidently it did fake tweet made it all the way to espn changeli fired well first of all i guess we'll go right there do you expect him to be gone sooner rather than later simon and how would you seek to replace him yeah i do and i think it'll probably be one of those mutual consent you know kind of old um you know a lot of work for an old man etc etc and in terms of look i i would you've you've invested this time in the quarterback find the quarterback coach or sorry the offensive coordinator whose system and style is going to mirror what what your franchise quarterback does best of all you know and if that is pete carmichael if that's gus malzahn whoever that is just find the right guy who's going to bring in an offense that is going to, you know, Steve Sarkeesian would have been perfect, you know, because he's worked with Tua, obviously he's got the Texas job, so it's not going to happen. But, you know, who is there that could build an offense around Tua? Because if you're not going to do that, what's the point, you know, what's the point in drafting him? You know, if you're going to bring in some system that doesn't fit his style, well, then that's pointless, you know, and the screen game doesn't suit his style. So find somebody, look at what he did best at, 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 um, Alabama look at what when he succeeded in Miami what what has happened whether it's hurry up offense it's throwing vertically out of you know four receivers whatever it is 
what did he do best, why and how, and let's build an offense to match that. And if that's George Godsey, then so be it. And if that's somebody from outside the building, then then so be that too. But just do it right, because otherwise you're just going to waste the kid, and that's just a complete waste of everybody's time. Yeah, I agree. Chris? Um, I think that, so, you know, yeah, Sarkeesian would have been, would have been an interesting choice. I think there's sort of uh, two schools of thought, though, on what Tua did best. Um, because on the one hand, we've heard that he was, you know, one of the best RPO quarterbacks. I mean, this was a scout that said this to Daniel Jeremiah. You know, he's like the best RPO quarterback I've ever seen. So what they do, they, you know, with Chan Gailey, they brought Chan Gailey in who had experience with RPOs, you know, back before RPOs was a thing. And, um, and they built an RPO offense uh, for him and it didn't work. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was terrible. Um, but then you have somebody like Trent Dilfer who, you know, he's gone on podcast recently and he said, you know, what Tua was, was the best four verts, uh, four verts quarterback, maybe college that maybe college football has ever seen. Um, and you know, was, was the offense that Chan Gailey put together for Tua anything even close to forwards? <laughs> no. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that there, there might be, it's still a feeling out. It's still a feeling out of what, what you need to do in order to, um, to maximize Tua, um, you know, cause it's probably both things in some sort of measure that they didn't find this year. Um, and and that's what and that's what they have to do going forward. But uh, yeah, I read that the ESPN article saying that Chan Gailey had been um, had been fired, or that they'd agreed to part ways. And I thought that it made a lot of sense. I mean, we talked about this a month ago. Um, it was right after the Cincinnati Bengals game. It was right after, you know, they refused to go hurry up or or no huddle for the entire first half of the Cincinnati game, just as they had been refusing to. Um, and all the previous games with Tua at quarterback um, to the de- to their detriment, and then in you know there was a there was a big to do about uh, Brian Flores being very irate at everybody um, at halftime of the Bengals game and kind of you know putting the fire into everybody. But one thing that they did in the Bengals game in the second half is Shane Gailey finally called some no huddle, a, a bunch of no huddle, and a bunch of hurry up. And even the Bengals players are like, yeah, that's what they did to us. And that's, that's what worked so well. I thought that was, go on, sorry, Chris. I I thought that was an important proof that this was an issue that there might be, that there might be a rift over between Brian Flores and Chan Gailey, because Chan Gailey has gone on to talk with, you know, other members of, of media and, and say, he doesn't really just, he just doesn't really buy into the no huddle and, and the hurry up thing, because, you know, it really limits your options and, and he doesn't, he doesn't like it for that reason. But where you see Brian Flores, on the other hand, you see him on the field, you can see him like physically motioning for better tempo when the, when he's frustrated with the offense. And then he, t- he said that he had to a benched against the Denver Broncos because he wanted better tempo. He wanted to go, to go faster. And that's why they turned to Ryan Fitzpatrick because they thought he could do it. Um, I thought the, that there might be a rift forming over this and, and, and about what Brian Flores wants. And I thought that you could see that in the fact that George Godsey took over for um, Robbie Brown when he got COVID on the sidelines, tutoring Tua as like the quarterbacks coach. And then Robbie Brown came back, you know, no longer had COVID and George Godsey didn't give up that role. 
you know, and George Gotze is a Brian Flores guy. Robbie Brown was the quarterback for Chan Gailey, you know, I think back at Georgia tech or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, I think that you could see that rift kind of forming and you could also see it happening, you know, kind of slow moving train wreck happening in the fact that Chan was calling such different playbooks and so clearly calling different playbooks for the two different quarterbacks um, that the, the rift had to just, had to just be widening and widening. Now I could know, you know, I could be full of shit. (laughs) Okay. And, and, and they keep Chan Gailey and he's here next year. And Brian Flores is like, nothing, nothing is even close to the truth there. I love Chan Gailey there. You know, we don't disagree on anything. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's the case, but I would still expect it to happen. And if it does happen, then I would look, I would look not only to systems that you like, but I'd look at teams that seem to have a knack for hiring talented coaches, talented assistant coaches. And I think Miami is becoming one of those. So, um, so I would look at, you know, teams like new Orleans, Baltimore, Kansas city. Um, I'd even start to look at, you know, Indianapolis a little bit um, and, and, you know, start, start looking at what they, what new Orleans does for Drew Brees, you know, start looking at um, or the, what the Shanahan's do for their, for their quarterbacks um, or maybe, you know, Seattle, uh, those places. I'll tell you one name I'd throw into the mix is Bill O'Brien um, because of his relationship with, with Flores um, and his reputation in New England in terms of what he was able to do in the passing offense there. Interestingly, Bill O'Brien is one of two uh, coaches that Nick Saban is trying to bring in to be the new offensive coordinator at Alabama. The other is Adam Gaze, incredibly. <laughs> but, but the Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien to Alabama is very interesting in that, you know, no Mac Jones next year, but uh, and no Devonta, uh, no Devonta Smith, no Najee Harris, no no Jalen Waddle. But you'll still have John Mechie. You'll have Bryce Young, the the freshman sensation, number one quarterback in the country from California, who's um, you know should go on to be a first round pick in two or three years time. The talent is obviously there at Alabama. They're going to be running the same system, you know, down the field passing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If that is that's interesting to me in that Bill O'Brien has a relationship with, um, with uh, Flores, but also is, you know, an expansive offensive player. I know he didn't do very well in Houston, but I think the bigger picture just clouded the smaller picture for him there. I, it would just be an interesting name. I think just to keep an eye on could, um, if he doesn't end up going to Alabama. Could I offer an off the wall idea? Uh-huh. You know, really? Um, so first off, I, I, I've talked to somebody who, you know, talks to somebody it, it it does qualify as friend of a friend of a friend so i take that with a grain of salt but um who talks to somebody who knows to who knows these these people brian flores bill o'brien you know those those guys um i'm told that that the the bill o'brien hire isn't very likely um okay. but i take fuck that with either. a take that with a complete <laughs> grain of salt just tell me to fuck go fuck myself and and uh <laughs> You know, I, I get it. Um, on the other hand, an off the wall idea that I would look at um, is I know that Flores and Matt Patricia really are tight. Um, and I think that uh, I think that Josh Boyer probably is pretty tight with them as, as well. Uh, Flores undoubtedly spent a lot of time with the defense this year, but he is the head coach of the team. Uh, and I wonder if Flores might think about bringing Matt Patricia on 
as some sort of consultant to work with Josh Boyer to replace whatever role that Flores himself was was doing paying attention to the defense so that Brian Flores himself can spend more time with the offense and that doesn't mean he'll be the offensive coordinator but remember that he coached under Bill Belichick all those years and there have been times when Bill Belichick you know had a direct and heavy hand in that offense Mm. um and and coaching and coaching it and the game plans and everything so I wonder if if Brian Flores kind of thinks in those terms like Hey, let me free up some of my time so I don't have to, you know, worry about the defense so that I can spend some of my time, you know, getting the offense to be what makes sense to me, because he's clearly had some, some things that he wanted and that, you know, maybe he wasn't getting. Uh, So I, I wonder about that. And I don't know, you know, who that would be as our new offensive coordinator. I don't know if it would be Chan Gailey. I don't know what it would be, but, um, but I, I kind of, it would be a, it would be a really off the wall thing. And I wonder about it. Yeah. I'm told. And I think I told you guys a little bit earlier that the hot name, if you were to go outside for an offensive coordinator, would be Joe Lombardi. And I did a little digging and guess who, who has put in a very, very nice word about Joe Lombardi when he left Detroit, Jim Caldwell. Hmm. So when he left Detroit, you mean when he was fired by Jim Caldwell? <laughs> yes, but Jim Caldwell said he was one of the hardest working, most intelligent coaches he's ever had under him. But he's fired. But he's fired. Yes. So I don't know. Two plus two. Does he make sense? He's hot again. He's you know he's he's he works under Pete Carmichael in New Orleans. He's credited with helping Drew Brees. So I don't know that could that make sense? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, on the way out here, we're not going to be on the air next Monday because there's a national championship game, right? Am I correct? We got a week off. Sensational. Is there a national championship game next Monday or there is? Yes, there is. Right. So since there is a national championship game next Monday, I guess we'll be on the air. What Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. And we'll just briefly go over the roster but on the way out, OSU, Alabama, who wants to go first? Simon roll, or Chris? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. All right. Give me the score. You know, there's gambling. 507 2 3. <laughs> no, I think, um, I mean, fuck, if Ohio State played the same way they did against Clemson, um, it'll be a tight game. Um, because Mac Jones is not as, uh, Mac Jones is not as, movable in the pocket as Trevor is uh, and I think they did an amazing job um, of getting pressure on Mac Jones although I think the Alabama offensive line is significantly better I think they'll obviously miss Landon Dickerson um, but I think Ohio State's got a couple of players on that defense who are really good underrated players Jonathan Cooper I think he had two or three sacks he's got some serious juice guy with zero um, uh, I think he's a really good player and they've got a freshman as well as going to be the next big, the next big thing um, who I think he didn't even play in that game, and I think he'll, he'll be back for the uh, he'll be back for the national title game. I'm just trying to find his name, and I can't. Uh, oh, Zach Harrison, um, he's a really good player as well. So, um, but can Justin Fields, you know, bounce back and have a back to back? Well, not bounce back, bounce on, and have another great game. Uh, and can they shut Trey Sermon down on defense? Because that Bama defense isn't amazing. Dylan Moses has really struggled this year. Christian Barmore's played really well in the last sort of half of the season. 
Um, and they're really good on the back end, both safeties and um, and corners. Josh Jovi's playing really well. Satan's been brilliant. Uh, the battle kid has played really well. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think uh, Alabama will probably win. And I'm going to go 42-35 uh, with Devonta probably player of the game. Hmm. Okay. Chris? Yeah, I'm going to go with Alabama here. They got Jalen. Supposedly, they're getting Jalen Waddle back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, already, like, the most prolific passing offense in college history, I think. Um, you know, based on throwing mostly to Devonta Smith. Um, is now going to also have Jalen Waddle, too. Um, so, it's – and this, you know, still got Najee Harris, and that's – phenomenal uh i i think that's going to be hard to overcome i also think and take this with a grain of salt it's not that i follow the 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 teams as closely um as some of you listeners might but i also just tend to think that ohio state got themselves up to play for clemson because of mm. because of De- Dabo. Dabo, you mm-hmm. know because of what he said and and what he did with the coaches poll and um and basically just saying they don't belong and uh, and and so I th- I think they got the, I think they got up to play him and I think that starts well maybe not starts but you know certainly along for the ride was Justin Fields who's who's getting who was getting his game picked apart right um, by the analysts and you know now it's it's definitely uh, Zach Wilson as the next quarterback after Trevor Lawrence and all that stuff and I think that man did he bounce back with a vengeance in the game yeah. and I don't know if he's going to sustain it um, I you know I. We'll see to his credit if he does, but, um, but I don't know if he's going to sustain it. Uh, as Simon said, bounce on. Um, I don't yeah, think, uh, yeah, I don't think so. So, um, so I think they might be in for prolo- time throws. He they? did. He had, he had, he was, he had a phenomenal all the way around game. There's, you know, let's not, let's not pick it apart or try to qualify it or something like that. <laughs> like he had a great yeah. game. All the, the two, way around. Two throw, he threw the touchdown to Chris Olave w- was a great throw anyway, but you look at how pressured he was and how he couldn't even get his full wind up. Right. That was Several. a hell of a throw to be Several Kareem of Kendrick. those. Yeah. And then the one to Jeremy Rucker at the tight end, who also had a great game. Uh, yeah. If he comes out, he's a really interesting um, player. But the one where he threaded it between three players into the air was a, you know, that's a proper tight window NFL throw. Yeah, and I've never, I've not always been the biggest fan of Fields, and I'm certainly not going to change my evaluation based off of one game. But you know, he made some things that made you think, okay, you know, if you can do this consistently, you're going to be a hell of a player. But and yeah, and on that throw, on that throw, he slid to a spot in the pocket too. He did, <laughs> you know, yeah. was... multi-platform, multi-platform throws. He can, you yeah, know, he's really good at. Yeah, yeah considering so, he was um, doing it with a dislocated liver, you know, that's yeah. something else. <laughs> That I mean, was yes. such a hit. Was. I love Skowski. I love Skowski. That was such but, a hit. But yeah, I mean, give him give him tons of credit for what he what he did in that game. There's no qualifying it. I think no, um, not at all. So, but can he hands continue? up and say great stuff? Yeah, you know, yeah. can he continue it forward though? Is he going to find that same fire against Alabama? Who's not going to give them the same you know bulletin board material? I guess uh, you can say. I tell you, as it helps that the the beast. In I don't the know. Backfield. Trey Sermon is as you know found his feet. That that's helping him a lot. Sure, it yeah. does. It Absolutely. Does. By the way, Nigel. So I'm gonna go. Nigel I'm gonna go. Alabama wins. Oh, I'm. I, let me finish off. I'm gonna go with Alabama wins, and it's not gonna be particularly close. I think it's gonna be, you know, forty-two to twenty-one or something like that. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm thinking. And as far as the MVP, I'm not gonna pick either of the receivers, Smith or Waddle. 
Najee Harris, I, that play, I don't remember ever watching. I, I've seen the guys hurdle other guys. But hurdling a guy <laughs> that's standing? No. I've never seen that before. So, you know, I guess, you know, this is a homework assignment for our listeners. If they don't watch any college football, they're not into college football, watch this game. Because there's a lot of interesting pro- prospects and some possible future Dolphins in there. Yeah. I'm going to go Alabama. I think, you know, Justin Fields, he was absolutely great against Clemson. I've seen him be terrible, okay? He was bad against Northwestern. It can repeat itself. It repeats yeah. itself against Alabama, and it's a terrible result for them. And I'm with Chris, something like that. Let's call it 45-24, something like that. Alabama, 45-24, Najee Harris, MVP. If you're a Dolphins fan and you don't watch college football, um, have a look at Josh Myers, where 71 for Ohio State, plays center. He's a redshirt junior. He was the number one recruit in the state of Ohio in 2017. And is a, um, you know, Dolphins obviously looking for a center. And if it's not Creed Humphrey, if it's not Landon Dickerson or Drake Jackson, the Kentucky kid, Myers is a decent player as well. A couple of that offensive line is really strong. And that could be the, you know, if they are going to win, they're going to have to rely on Mumford and Petty Frere on the tackles and, and, um, mm-hmm. And Josh Myers and the guard whose name completely escapes me, but he's a Wyatt really Davis. Good player. Wyatt Davis is a he's a good player. So yeah, it'll be an interesting battle. I think. I, I think you boys, you boys have done well actually with tipping this year in terms of little bits. I couldn't tip shit out of a barrel, but um, but I, I think it'll be closer than than you two boys reckon it will be, which ultimately means that it won't be close at all, and you two boys will mug me off. Again. <laughs> which means it'll be like seventy three to ten or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so. I've lost tracks. Of, I've lost track of the jinxes at this point <laughs> yeah although you know uh, to be fair I'll, I'll you know i'll bring one up on our whatsapp chat uh you simon you, you were saying remember i said uh i i think i i said this is the game because somebody had falsely reported on sunday sunday morning i'm not going to say their name but there was a lot of false reports on sunday saying that josh allen would dress but wouldn't play yeah he, he played and he almost threw for five million yards in the first half and three touchdowns okay but somebody had falsely reported he wasn't going to play. And I simply typed out, this is the day Matt Barkley dies. <laughs> and What happened next? Yeah. And then Simon responded to me, no, he's going to light us. <laughs> he's going to light us up. It's going to be his, I don't know what, what game it's going to be. Flynn. Yeah, it's the Matt Flynn. Flynn yeah, Matt Flynn, yes. <laughs> and then I simply replied, don't put that evil on us, Simon. Yeah. Oh, it was on us. It was on us. Yes, it was. It it absolutely was on us. All right. Like I said, no show next Monday for the national championship game, of course, but we will be with you sometime next week. We'll go over the roster as a long off season kicks off an important one though, but see you then. Thanks for listening to three yards per caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean or your usual podcast provider. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. 
When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.